You're listening to the Redefining Wealth Podcast with Patrice Washington. In today's episode, I sit down to talk to Devon Franklin about his new book, The Hollywood Commandments. It's Patrice Washington from patricewashington.com, where we chase purpose, not money. Today, I'm super excited to introduce you to a good friend of mine who embodies the redefining wealth principles so well. Devon Franklin is an award-winning film and TV producer, best-selling author, internationally known preacher, and spiritual success coach. He's a recognized authority on spirituality, faith, and the entertainment business, and he's committed to using the power of media as an inspirational tool. BelieveNet calls him one of the most influential Christians under 40, but Oprah herself refers to him as a bona fide dynamo, a different kind of spiritual teacher for our times. Devon uses his platform to uplift the masses through his film and television projects, books, television appearances, speaking engagements, and social media posting to over 1 million followers. And today, he's here to uplift us in the Redefining Wealth community. So get ready as I discuss with Devon one of his latest projects, his new book, The Hollywood Commandments. Now, I am so excited to be here with you. Yeah. I'm super excited about the Hollywood Commandments. I didn't even really sleep last night. <laughs> I, so if you see any bags, just ignore them. There's no that. bags. You okay. look beautiful. You well, look amazing. You. Well, thank you. Um, first of all, I have to tell you, this is completely a full circle moment. Mm. So I think I shared this before, but yeah. I have to say it for the listeners, for the okay. viewers. Freshman year, mm-hmm. 1999, at USC, University yep. of Southern California, I was sitting in an auditorium. Uh, for I think it was like a black welcome week mm-hmm. type of thing mm-hmm. and you were a speaker mm-hmm. and you got up and you did this thing you probably don't even remember this <laughs> but you put I think it was like a $20 bill yeah. in the air and you said something like who wants it and we all sat there like this is a joke like uh-huh. what, is, what is he talking about and no one stood up nobody claimed mm-hmm. it and you said you know what happens when you skip over opportunities, like not taking this money is like skipping over an opportunity that mm. was right in front of your face. Mm. I didn't say there were any conditions. I didn't say you had to do anything. I just said, who wants oh, it? Yeah. And in that moment, one, I felt stupid because I really could have <laughs> used that money. But the other thing was you taught me a very important lesson to never skip over opportunities. Mm. So ever since that time, not only do I pick up money, because <laughs> I look at money on the street it's like, hey, as an opportunity. Hey, that's like, an opportunity. There and, it is. And so the universe doesn't discriminate, though. Right. So whenever there are opportunities in front of me, even when I don't really feel prepared sure. or I don't always feel my most confident mm-hmm. or I'm kind of like, God, are you sure? Mm-hmm. Should I really be doing this? I still go for the opportunity, and I think about what you said in 1999. Wow, that's not, amazing. No, I'm serious, too. That's crazy. And not only that, you know, when I realized you were a student, because you were speaking, I thought yeah. you were an old man. I mean, not old. <laughs> old at the time. Old, you know, the old time. relative to you, right? I didn't, know, I didn't realize you were a senior, yeah. I think, until yeah. the end. Yeah. And I was like, man. I want to do that one day. Mm. And it was like a fleeting thought. I said, I want to I want to get up and speak one day. Mm. So fast forward to 2014. Now I've been out there. Yeah. I've written a few books. I'm doing my thing, right, right. TV and radio. And I get invited to speak at USC Women's Conference. Wow. I was the youngest speaker. Wow. And I was going to the airport thinking, man, 
God is awesome. Like, what a full circle moment. <laughs> yeah. And I get to the airport, get to my seat, and who's sitting behind me? Wasn't that crazy? This dude right here, the guy who started it all. So when I tell you that I am wow. so, man. That's amazing. That's just amazing how God does it. It's just how amazing. he orchestrates things. Orchestrates down to the finest detail. And we are not even aware of what's going on. That's true. Um, but so I just thank God for you. I mm, thank God for this opportunity, and I'm super excited. So Me too. I want to jump in. Okay, let's do because it. Because I have been, I already told you. <laughs> this book is so raggedy right now. Thank you for my for my advanced copy. I love it's it. raggedy. It's been all over the country with me the last few weeks, and I, I have just it. been devouring it. Mm. And I want to start with something that you said in your introduction, okay, okay. which I thought was really bold. Okay, and some right. people might say controversial. I like it. You said the church didn't teach me how to be successful. Hollywood did. Yes. Yes. Okay. Okay. So everyone knows that you are really big on your faith. So yeah. when you make a statement like that, what does what does that really mean? You know what it what it means is, and one of the reasons why I wanted to write the book is too often, you know, we allow you know spirituality to be confined to what we do on the weekend, and and what I was articulating by that statement in the book and why I stand behind it is that you know the church definitely is the foundation of my life and gave me some incredible lessons that I still rely upon today. But when it ta- when it comes to actually professionally being successful, I learned that in Hollywood. You know, I learned that by throwing myself fully into this environment. Didn't know a soul when I got started. Started when I was 18, while I was a freshman at USC. You know, and so when I say Hollywood made me successful or taught me how to be successful, it's because for 20 years, that's where this is where I've been every mm-hmm. single day, learning what it is required to be successful, how to navigate success, how to create more success, how to build uh, relationships, how to network. Mm-hmm. So those are things that I did not learn in the church. Right. And so I think too often, especially people of faith, you know, think that, oh, well, the church is going to do everything for me. Well, it's not. Mm-hmm. Uh, the church has a very specific function, a vital, a vital function, yet being in your industry and learning that industry also has a function as well. Absolutely. And so that's why I believe that, you know, spiritual uh, pursuits and our secular pursuits are both one of the, of the same. Yeah. And so it's hard to have one without the other. And so that's what I mean by that statement. So what inspired you, though, to write this book, like to put it all together in the mm-hmm. Hollywood Commandments? You know, what inspired me is because I just, first of all, people come to me all the time mm-hmm. asking for information and how to be successful and what's required. And honestly, too often, people are coming up to me not doing the research, mm-hmm. not oh. doing the homework, you know, <sighs> and just thinking like, oh, because I want to be successful or I'm praying to be successful, that magically it's going to happen. But I'm like, it doesn't work that way. (laughs) It doesn't work that way. You can't pray about it and forget it. That's right. Right. It's like, no, you have to pray and prepare. That's why the first commandment is your prayers alone are not enough. So what motivated me to write the book is because I really wanted to tell the truth about success. I really wanted to tell the truth about what is required. Mm -hmm. And if you are not willing and ready to commit 1,000% of your spirit, your body, your mind, and your soul to whatever you feel called to do, it's not going to happen. Come on. So I wanted to just write a book that's just the truth. I mean, that's why. It's it's the truth as I see it. That this, if you do this... You will. It, it, I have no doubt anyone who takes these commandments and applies them will be successful. And that's why I identify with this so much, mm. because I really felt called probably for like the last year or so to tell the truth, as you say, because yeah. people will come up to me and say, you know, I can't get my finances in order. I think it's my budget. You know, <laughs> or maybe if I knew something about the credit bureaus or do you have uh-huh. any secrets? And I'm like, you know what? 
this has nothing to do with chasing money, right? right? It has everything to do with us chasing our purpose. That's right. And so this whole concept that I've created of redefining wealth fits so perfectly into mm, the commandments. Yeah, I, I was that. like, I ah, that. <laughs> this is crazy. And so really the foundation of that too is that so many people think that wealth is money and material possessions mm-hmm. or fame. They equate fame to mm-hmm. wealth. Mm-hmm. And really when you dig deep, the true definition of wealth is well-being. Yeah. And so yeah, the I reason that. I actually chose you uh-huh. to be my very first interview is wow. because you embody right. that so well. From your Insta story videos to, to the work <laughs> that you. you do um, and just knowing you, you oh, know, just you. out and about, Honor. you embody that so well. And so there's something else that you wrote. History is filled with examples of people who had an abundance of material possessions, but no peace. That's right. Because no matter how much stuff you have, there's not enough money in the world to fill the hole in your soul. Yeah. And I love that because our whole mission here is to help people live their life's purpose, mm. find fulfillment, yeah. and earn more without chasing money. I love it. Yeah. Earn and more without chasing money. Without having to chase because you don't have to chase money, yeah. right? Yeah. So when you look at all the stuff that you talk about, it seems like it'll be... Yeah, added. very much so. Very much so. And I believe that. And one of the reasons why I articulate that, I even have something, as you've seen in the intro, where it's like, look, if you're looking for, you know, uh, to get that house of your dreams, the car of your dreams, you're looking to get a Birkin bag, don't read this book. I, <laughs> right. I am not, I'm not interested in those things for you. Mm-hmm. You know, but if you are trying to walk in purpose, if you are trying to find fulfillment, if you are trying to fill that hole in your soul, mm-hmm. then the book is for you. It because is. being in, in Hollywood for 20 years and really fully immersing myself, you know, I've come across all walks of life. Uh, and deal with, you know, powerful people on a day-to-day basis, wealthy people on a day-to-day basis, uh, people who are walking in their calling on a day-to-day basis, and some people who are not. And so what I have learned is that when you see people who literally have the things that the world says, this is what you should have, and when you see some who have peace, who have those things, and some who do not, one of the differentiating factors was this idea that materialism, and these possessions cannot fill the hole in our soul. They cannot. What what is an internal problem cannot be solved by something that's external. Right. And and no matter how rich financially I may be, if I have have wounded my spirit that I have not actually gone the process, gone through the process to get healing, mm-hmm. or if I'm not really walking in full purpose, then I don't care what kind of car you drive. You can't. You cannot eat it to fill yourself. You can't. You know what I mean. You can't. Yeah. I don't care how much you buy. It's not going to ever. Feel that thing. So I wanted to reframe the pursuit mm-hmm. so that the external pursuit is directly related to the internal pursuit that has already happened. Mm-hmm. So once we can do the soul work, part of the external soul work is like, okay, because I feel healthy, because I feel whole in my spirit, because I'm aligning my life with my purpose, okay, great. Internally, I'm feeling good mm-hmm. about the direction I'm going. So everything I do externally then becomes a direct reflection of the work I'm already doing internally. That's right. That's right. And one of the things that we talk about in Redefining Wealth, the very first pillar is fit. Mm. And it's not just about being physically fit. It's yeah. about being mentally fit. Yes. And you say pressure, position, high profile, all those things, if you aren't ready for them, will crush you. Absolutely. And so what do you see or... What is the importance in your mind? You talked about healing the wounded, the mm-hmm. wounded part inside of you, right? What is the importance in your mind of like therapy mm-hmm. and dealing with maybe mm-hmm. some of your past trauma and how that affects mm-hmm. your ability to get 
I think it's super important and, and I'm a huge advocate of it. You know, that therapy is great. You know, even therapy and relationships. I mean, before Megan and I got engaged, we went to counseling. Once we got engaged, we went to counseling, been married, still go to counseling. It's Absolutely. a good part of having someone to kind of talk through issues and really work through your problems with. So for as, as an individual, though, I think this is something that's overlooked because our mental fortitude to be able to handle the stress yes. and handle the pressure of success Success has weight to it. Yes. And too often we just think, oh, it's just easy and it's great. No. The the higher the success, the more weight, the more pressure. So the more strain on your mental fortitude. So therapy can be very helpful. You know, I do think going to church is very helpful. Praying is very helpful. It's all these things mixed together along with your career pursuit that can prepare you to handle success when it arrives. And what about physical fitness? Because you oh, are well, yeah. you're not playing. I, I called you buffness when you oh, walked in. Oh, no, no. Like I said, it's a shirt. <laughs> no, it's not the shirt. So what about physical fitness? How Important. do you feel like that has prepared you? Well, I, it, it is it is a vital, vital part of everything I do. And my, my next book, I'm not going to tell it yet, but it's Man, it's you gonna, already working on the next book? You have to. Absolutely. Come on, that's absolutely. right. Absolutely. I already got the idea. I already yes. know what it's going to be, and it's going to be related to this issue of physical yeah. fitness. Because one of the things I believe is, you know, the Bible talks about the temple. Our body is the temple of God, right? And the thing that just blows my mind is we spend so much time talking about the health of the spirit, Mm -hmm. the health of the mind. But rarely do we say, if you're going to have a healthy mind, a healthy spirit, you better make sure you got a healthy body. That's right. Because if the temple is crumbling, what good is a healthy mind, a healthy spirit? That's right. And so too often, the thing we do the last is take care of ourselves. What are you doing? Oh, I'm busy. I'm I'm out here hustling. You know, I'm working, you know, 10 hours a day and I'm barely eating or what I'm eating I know isn't good. And the stress is getting to me and life is getting to me. And then we wonder why we can't maximize our calling because physically we're too worn down. So I believe in keeping physically fit. I believe I me. Mean, I work out, you know, four or five times a week. I mean, I'll some days I work story. out. Yep, yep. Come on, do the matrix. Let's go. You know, because I just I believe it's important. It is, and I always say, you know, what well, we're praying. We know that God has given us a vision for our life, but yeah. it's your responsibility to protect the vessel that's, right. that's needed to execute that vision. That's right. What good that's is right. praying, or what good is money if all you're going to do is spend it on prescriptions you can't pronounce? Right. And hospital bills. And you're right. out when so much of this stuff, especially in the African-American community, is preventable. A lot of the things that we're dying of are totally preventable. Completely. And we've been conditioned, though, mm-hmm. to think that money and starting a business or do, the hustle. The, are more important. We've yeah. been conditioned to think is more important. Yeah, my father uh, died of a heart attack at the age of 36. Yes, 36. Died of a heart attack. Wow. He had his first heart attack when he was, if I'm correct, 32, 33. So, and he, you know, he smoked, you know, he was alcoholic, didn't take care of himself, yeah. and he paid the price. So this issue is very close to my heart. So, you know, my I'm the middle child of three boys. So my mm-hmm. older brother, my younger brother, you know, we all, you know, look at this of like, okay, how can we pick up the work that my father couldn't do because health was not something he valued. So have you been really into fitness since your SC days or was it closer to your 36 that you well, started Well, you know, to... okay, truth be told, uh, SC, I was hit and, I was hit and miss, right? <laughs> hit or miss, right? So uh, some of the days the gym would hit me, some days I hit the gym, <laughs> right? Whatever. Um, so it really wasn't until I graduated. Okay. I graduated and because I wasn't taking care of myself, true story, I found myself uh, in Cedar sinai uh, Hospital needing to have emergency surgery. 
because I wasn't taking care of myself. My digestive system was, was not working mm-hmm. properly. And as a result, I had to have surgery. And so when I came out of that surgery, one of the most you know, painful surgeries I've ever been through. And when I came through that, I said, okay, I got the message. I've got to do better. And so ever since then, you know, fitness has always been a part of what I've done. Uh, and it's just been a matter of like, you know, how hard I'm going or how not, right. you know, but every day, I mean, every week I'm always working out and always trying to eat right. And that's been, you know, a little over 10 years. Wow. Yeah. I had yeah. no idea you went through that. Yeah. Wow. So how has marriage uh, <laughs> changed you? Another important pillar for us as people is about creating relationships that matter. Yeah. So I know you're married, what, five years now? Five years. Five yeah. years already. Yeah, I know. I remember you guys were all over the place. I know. Five years. Five years like that. So how has your personal relationship, so you have this thriving business mm-hmm. and you're doing your thing and you also take care of yourself. So mm-hmm. how do you incorporate that? Because one of the things that we realize is that a lot of times we're so busy saying that we're working for the people that we love, mm-hmm. but then we don't make time to mm-hmm. include them. Yeah. And that becomes a whole yeah. other challenge. So how do you yeah. deal with that? You know, I deal with it literally like I don't look at my life as something over here, something over here. Mm-hmm. It's it's a tapestry. You know, it's all a part. It's every you know, everything's happening at once. So as it relates to, you know, marriage and spending time with Megan, you know, I make it a priority. Mm-hmm. So it's like, okay, you know, if she's shooting, you know, she just shot a movie with Michael Ely. Uh, they, everybody was praying for me. I said, please pray. He's <laughs> shooting Michael Ely. Lord, pray. Play, okay, church, pray. <laughs> Michael's a good friend. But well, she was shooting that film. She was shooting in Vancouver. So, you know, I would go out there and visit her and work. You know, I would leave there, go do my speaking engagements, come back. You know, when she's home, you know, just making sure that, okay, hey, well, tonight I'm going home. You know, mm-hmm. or it's like after a speaking engagement, I'll go right there. So it's just a matter of always staying in communication. I mean, we talk, you know, FaceTime, text. All the time. Mm-hmm. So there's never a moment where I justify not being there for her because I'm working. That's that never. There, no, it, I don't. I don't do that. If I need to step out of a meeting because she needs me, that's what we're gonna do. That's right. You know what I mean? Period. Because too often we say, "Oh, well, I'm doing this for her in yeah. terms of work." Well, no. <laughs> Truth be told. When we use that excuse, we're doing, doing it for it ourselves. For, yeah. It's we're a little it. it's a little sneaky selfish. Oh, completely. You know? completely. Oh no, I'm doing this provide. It's like, no, nah, no. Nah. <laughs> so so I do it by just incorporating it all at once. So in addition to personal relationships, business relationships are really important. And I loved in the book when you talked about your internship with yeah. Benny Medina. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, and how you basically walked in there, created filing systems, yep, and you yep, started. Yep, that's yep. what I did. That's how I met Steve. I was wow. an intern. I was supposed to be an intern for 60 days, and I did the same thing. You don't have a system, I'll create I'll a do system. It. Right, 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 right. And you ended up creating value, but you even took a job as his driver. Yes. Right? Yes. So tell us about how that experience has kind of shaped who you are, because those relationships, mm-hmm. I'm sure, continue to help out now. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. But that's but what I love about that story and why I wanted to include it is because too often when it comes to success, we only look at someone's tree of success. Mm-hmm we don't actually go and examine the roots beneath the tree. And so I, what I wanted to let people know is like, look, people who may know of me may think, oh, you know, he's got this company and he's got Megan and his wife and all that kind of stuff. Like, oh, it's just all easy. Right. I was like, no, 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 let's let's go back to the beginning. Yeah. Okay, we talk about the bottom. Yes, I drove Benny Medina. First of all, I mean, Benny is awesome and mm-hmm. he was truly one of the most powerful and influential managers Really, when you look at the history of entertainment, when you look at the careers that he's been behind mm-hmm. and how he has shaped so many lives and careers and elevated uh, 
artist profile. It's amazing. And he still manages been, um, uh, Jennifer Lopez to this mm-hmm. day. So, you know, what he's done with her is incredible. So at the time, you know, he was managing Babyface. Uh, he was managing Puffy. And so for me, when they said, hey, well, Benny wants you to drive him, I was excited because it was you, an that, opportunity. Man, you say that in the book. But yes. do you know how many people would be like, I'm not doing that. But, why would I drive him around? But that's why... I'm going to say the truth. That's why those people are not here right now. Uh And I don't mean here because of their mortality. I mean here because of their hustle. Uh Because too often we overlook opportunity that's being presented. It doesn't look like what we want. Uh But if we would submit to the process and accept opportunity as it comes, we would be shocked that it will actually help us become who we need to be. So for me, I'm like, Benny Medina is one of the principals of the company. Benny Medina is one of the most influential people in entertainment business. Uh So... What better way than every day when I was in the office to be right there with him, driving him from rehearsal? Check this out. We would go from rehearsing uh, for the Soul Train Music Awards, right? And we're talking about Lil' Kim. We're talking about Puffin. We're talking about Mace. At the time, all the hot talent. And then drive to business meetings, you know, drive to award shows. And the whole way through, I'm listening to conversations, how deals get done, how you handle talent, how you handle difficult situations. You know, and then in between, when he would feel open, I'd I'd ask him a question. Hey, why did you say this? Why'd you do that? Mm-hmm. It was training. Yeah. It was, it was, I was getting my CEO training. I was getting mentored. I was getting brought up because too often we want to do it. We don't want to submit to the process where we get to, to learn how to do it. And so I wanted to write that story to say it was awesome because Benny gave me three things. Opportunity, information, and experience. I didn't, I didn't need money from him. Yeah. Give me opportunity. Give me information. Give me experience. If I have those three things, I will get money. Because I will be able to apply it because opportunity, information, and experience is so rare. Right. When I commit to the process and the process gives me those things, I become an expert. That's right. And people pay for expertise because expertise is very rare. And that's what Drive Benny, Benny Medina got me. That's powerful. Wow. And I love that you say that ego can be a career killer. Absolutely. And, Absolutely. That, and that's what happens to a lot of people. They're so quick to like sigh and huff and puff and who do they think I am? Or totally. I'm, too good. Yeah. <laughs> I'm too good for that. Yeah, totally. And then you end up missing the opportunity, totally. the information and the experience. Completely. Because I'm right? like, what am I too good for? This I'm at the bottom. <laughs> at the time of my career, I'm at the bottom. Okay. So so I'm only looking up, right? right. So, hey, driving Benny Medina was a step up. Okay? Right. Absolutely. And you also talked about in that experience how people would try to kind of play the gatekeepers, the assistants or whoever was around. And I always say this, too. A lot of times I walk in places and people don't know that I'm the speaker right? Uh or they don't know. And they're nasty or they're rude or they're just kind of like, you know, just dismissive. Mm -hmm. And then I get introduced and I walk up and those are the people at the mic after we're trying to ask a question. Hi, I saw you. Uh Right. And so you talk about just honoring everyone. Yeah. You just never know who people are. Yeah. And um, so how has that been also helpful for you in your career? Just you being you, the personable person Mm -hmm. you are. How has Mm -hmm. that been beneficial? Um, You know, because it's been very beneficial because sometimes we miscalculate. So what will happen in those scenarios where we deem somebody, uh, we don't need them. Mm-hmm. They're, they're not as valuable as the person they may work for. Mm-hmm. What we do is we miss an opportunity because if I make a miscalculation about somebody's value or worth, the very person you don't think you need now is the very person you will absolutely need later. Business is a small community. I don't care what industry you're in. And too often we say, oh, well, I don't need them, so I'm going to treat them differently. Mm. 
What I have learned is that integrity is not what you do in front of the cameras, in front of people, it's who you are. Mm -hmm. And I believe integrity is like kindness to everyone. And because also it's just smart. Right. Because what I, there have been people, assistants, that you know I happen to be kind to, and now they're executives that run companies. That's right. There, there are people I'm like, hey, <laughs> yo, can we come sell you a project as a producer? And they'll right. take my call. They'll be like, oh, of course, Devon. And so when I wrote that in the book, one, I just want us to get back to a place of integrity and character mm -hmm. where we treat people, you know, how they deserve to be treated regardless of position. Mm -hmm. And second of all, to help people think that, wait a minute, we may be actually making a miscalculation mm -hmm. because I do believe that sometimes the most valuable people in an organization are the gatekeepers because they know what's going on. They know where the information is. They have access to opportunity and they have access to experience. Sometimes the CEOs are the people that don't know much about the company <laughs> right. other than what the stockholders right. need and other than what the, you know. That's true. Um, so, so many times the people that work for those people are the ones that actually know what's going on. So I wanted to write that in the book to help people understand, let's stop treating people and looking down on people because we don't think we need them. That's right. Let's just operate that anyone that comes in our path, we are gonna need that person. And let's treat them with respect. Mm -hmm. Let's treat them with dignity, just as a par for the course. Mm -hmm. And I guarantee those are seeds that will be planted, that will grow and benefit you later on. One of the things Steve taught me when I yeah. was an intern was that there's always someone watching you yes. with the power to bless you. Oh, you got that right. But what are they watching you do? That's right. right? Who are they watching you be? Yeah. And it's not always what you, what that person is saying to you, but how they're treating other people mm -hmm. around you that matters. And Absolutely. so that's really good. And in the 10th commandment, your world is smaller than you think. Yeah. We know about six degrees of separation, but you say something about zero degrees from our destiny. Yes. So can you kind of expand upon that? What does that mean? Yeah. What I talked about is that, you know, there's that old that old adage, you know, mm -hmm. six degrees of separation. And I talk about in the book the genesis of that. And then I also talk about, you know, the kind of fun anecdote that happened years ago about six degrees of Kevin Bacon, mm -hmm. where, you know, they would identify actors and pretty much any actor was about six degrees <laughs> away from Kevin Bacon. And what I talked about is in the in the natural, there may be six degrees. Mm -hmm. But from a spiritual point of view, there's zero degrees. Because I do believe that when we operate in purpose, when we operate in destiny, when we operate specific to where we're supposed to be, and we're getting up every day, and we're putting preparation behind our prayer, mm -hmm. and we're putting work behind our faith, I believe we align ourselves for God then to do something that in the natural makes no sense. <laughs> right. Which is we think that the person that we need to get to is so far away, but we have no idea that the more we operate in purpose, the more we become great at what we do, that person that we think is six degrees of separation mm -hmm. away is zero. Yeah. The, the people that I have in my life and the people that I've been able to meet and the mentors that I've been able to attract are people that I have no right on paper to know or have access to. But this, the degree between me and them has become zero, mm -hmm. not just because of who they are in the world, but because of the path I chose to walk down. And so I wanted to put that in the book to help encourage someone to stop feeling like your hopes and dreams are so far away. Mm -hmm. They're much closer than you think because the world is smaller than you think, yeah. especially when it comes to communities. Again, I talked about this earlier. It's like with business. The business community is small. No matter what industry you're in, people talk. They say, hey, who's good at this? Who's good at that? Who has a good reputation? That travels. So the very people you may think, oh, I wish I could get to know. 
You have no idea. Keep operating in purpose. Yeah. Keep Ooh. showing up. Keep doing good work. They're going to be saying, hey, I need to get to know you. <laughs> that's what's going to happen. Yeah. And so that's why I wrote that in the book. And that's what I mean by zero degrees of separation. You also talk about virtual mentors. Oh, yeah. The other thing that stops people is thinking like, well, if I knew such and such, or people tell me if I knew Steve Harvey, that... No. That, first of all, you still got to do the work. So let's knock it right. off, right? Right. But the other part is, like you said, in just being and just walking in my purpose, what I feel that God has called me to do, all the people that I studied their books, yeah. I watched them on YouTube, yeah. I took in their speaking or I went yeah. to their seminars, one way or another have come now and are my mentors totally. in some form or fashion. But before I met them... They were virtual mentors from a distance, and we discount that. Totally, we discount it. But the thing, but what you've done is awesome, and you're a living, breathing example of it, and your example of the power of the Hollywood commandments is this. All of your research, all of the things that you sought out along the way were a direct relation to your passion. Mm-hmm. So your passion is what had you read all of Susie Orman's <laughs> books, right? Read all of what Steve was doing. like Because you were just following what you were passionate about. Mm-hmm. So as these people came into your path, you were prepared. Right. You could ask a question that was based upon your authentic research. Mm-hmm. When those movers and shakers hear you ask a question, they say, oh, this is somebody who knows what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. This is someone who studied my work. This is someone who really is passionate about this field. So I am going to give them something that I may not give someone else. Mm-hmm. So you're, you have studied to show yourself approved. And that is so valuable because too often people have aspiration, but they don't put themselves in a process to allow their passion to prepare them for the moment when the very person that could change their life comes into their life. Yes. They don't prepare themselves for that moment. So part of the way to prepare is to allow your passion to get you to do the research. Invest in it. I mean, before I mm-hmm. even became a producer, I mean, I would, I'm still now, you know, I would go to the movie theater. I would watch the movie. But beyond that, I would look at the poster and say, well, who produced it? Okay. <laughs> All right. So this person produced it. What else did they produce? That's my husband right now. <laughs> right. Because oh, I know Gerald wants to get in the film. Yeah. So he's just been soaking it up, you know? Yeah. And so you're studying well, who did what? How, who wrote this? What, who directed this? And then, okay, who, not only did they direct that, they did direct this other stuff. Okay. Well, what type of movies do I want to make? You know, well, what goes into making a good movie? How do I tell a good story? So my passion then dictates my research. And so that is so important to be prepared because as people come into our story, they're going to know immediately, are we serious yeah. or are we not? And too often we get lazy, we get procrastinate, yeah. and we start outsourcing our time that could be used to prepare ourselves to things we never can get back, which is, you know, look, I'm in entertainment. I talk about people. I tell people, monitor your entertainment. Don't let it monitor you. Manage it. Mm-hmm. Don't let it manage you. Because too often we're just vegging out. Yeah, and letting and just, a lot of... Foolishness in our spirit. And, and, we're just, we're, and, and we're just taking time that could be used for research mm-hmm. to pour ourselves fully into our passion with time that we never get back. No matter, listen, I, I, listen, no matter how often we watch Love and Hip Hop, all right, <laughs> we're not going to remember two years from now what happened in season six. Right. But we will remember the book we read mm-hmm. that helped change our life. So it's about a balance, but it's also about putting in the time in order to get the value out of what is yet to come. I love in the book that you talk about pray and prepare because sometimes you even say that sometimes 
our faith can weaken us? Well, here's what it is. Here's what, yeah. it is. here's what it is. I love this concept. The Bible talks about, you know, faith without works is dead, mm-hmm. right? So that means we have to be in works behind our faith. So too often we will say, oh, how are you doing? Oh, I'm praying about it. Well, how's your promotion? How's the job? I'm praying about it. Okay, now there's nothing wrong with prayer. But if all we do is stop at prayer mm-hmm. and we don't put preparation behind that prayer, then what I say is that maybe our prayers, we're using that to mask our fear. Mm-hmm. Because we're afraid to act. We're afraid to step out into what we believe and do what we hear in our heart because we're afraid that it may not work. So as a result, we say, oh, I'm praying over mm-hmm. it just to give ourselves more peace to deal with the reality that we know there's something we're supposed to do, but we're afraid to do it. But isn't fear natural? I mean, fear is a natural reaction, you know. Precisely. But here's when fear can be detrimental. Fat is natural too, but too much of it Mm -hmm. can be detrimental to our health. That's good. So yes, fear is a natural byproduct of being human, Mm -hmm. without a doubt. But it's how we deal with it. So anything that we're afraid of, I believe that's the very thing we should do. I believe we should take our fears and turn it into our to-do list. Mm -hmm. So there's nothing wrong with being afraid. You know, fear can also, you know, in certain instances can save your life Mm -hmm. because you're afraid. You go into survival mode and help save your life. So fear can be used in a positive way, but we have to do that. When fear paralyzes us and then we take that paralyzation or the paralysis, excuse me, and then we say, okay, well, I'm praying on it. No, the only thing that's going to help you overcome your fear is starting to do something. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's you, lack of clarity, right? Because once you do the research and you know that you mm-hmm. know, there's mm-hmm. nothing really to be afraid of. You can speak with confidence. Right? I know, but too often we I, I have found that so many are afraid of failing, afraid of how they're going to look. And I say, who cares how you look? And, and, and also I talk about in that same chapter that people think of failure as a setback. And, and I say you see it as a setup. Set up. It's yes, a setup. I love it's a setup. that. When you're operating in your purpose and you're taking steps towards your destiny, mm-hmm. I don't believe that there's anything called failure. Why? Because certain things may not work out to what you have would have wanted. But, but what did you get out of it? You yeah. learned. You got wisdom out of it. You got information. You got opportunity. You got experience. You learn more about yourself. You learn more about your industry. So anything that doesn't go right, or what we would say right, is filled with vital lessons to help us get to where he wants us to be. And I love the exercise you suggest looking back over the last like six months or a mm-hmm. year and every setback you've had, yes. reframe it as a oh, setup. Yeah. Oh yeah. That was really good. Yeah, and I, I was I, up there, I was like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Because I, I, hope, I hope people take that to heart. Yeah. Because when you do that and you go back and say, like for example, one of the films that I worked on that was a, did not work at the box office. Mm-hmm. So in the natural, people would say, oh, that was a failure. It was Sparkle, Whitney Houston's mm-hmm. last film. And so, you know, in the moment, I was really upset the movie didn't work and just so many emotions, you know, mm-hmm. feeling disappointed. But when I realized, when I look back at what that movie did and, yeah. and that movie prepared the way for Heaven is For Real, you know, that, yeah. that, right? I would have never been able to make Heaven is For Real if I hadn't made Sparkle. Mm-hmm. And so Heaven is For Real did, you know, $100 million yeah. worldwide and, and laid the foundation for me to exit Sony and start my own company. And so when I go back and say, Sparkle wasn't a, a, a failure, it wasn't a setback. Sparkle was a setup. Mm-hmm. It was a setup to help me get to where God already promised I would be. Mm-hmm. It, it, it was revolutionary yeah. for me just to, instead of saying, oh man, I wish that hadn't happened, look at it and say, I'm so glad it happened. Mm-hmm. And then also, when you look at Whitney Houston, you know, what she's meant to, to this just, just mm-hmm. the world, 
to be able to do a project that could be her one of her last offerings to the world. Yeah. And for her to be showcased in such a positive light. Mm-hmm. If one person wanted to go see it, it was still positive and it yeah. was still a setup and it was still uh, a success. Absolutely. And so I wrote that to kind of reframe it to help people understand, hey, things may not go the way you like, but it's just setting you up for where you really need to be. I always think about my time on the bathroom floor, snotting uh-huh. and crying when I lost everything. Wow. When the mortgage and real estate business crashed, yeah. laid off the employees, 13 properties, gone, wow. everything. And now when I look at what I do, it's not that I'm like, oh, well, that was fine. Yeah. But I'm like, that was a setup because I was always passionate about yeah. finance and financial education. Yeah. But God used that to show me compassion yeah. and for me to really walk yes. in what he called me to yes. do. And I, I can't trade that yeah. for the world. No. So I just try to hold on to the lessons, the experience, the yeah. opportunities that were built. So, of course, this is I'm a money person. Money, right? okay. And you mentioned the opportunity to exit Sony. Yes. And you talk very candidly about that negotiate. Well, at one point when you were negotiating back and forth mm-hmm. with Sony, right? And I love it. I don't want to mess it up. So let me let me read it right. <laughs> this chapter, you get what you negotiate, not what you're worth. Yes. So I am so big on earning more money for yeah. my community, in particular for women. I want to help mm-hmm. to close the wage gap. Mm-hmm. And so we talk a lot about negotiating. Um, and so can you just kind of share whatever tips you might have for mm-hmm. people who are struggling to identify their value sure. or the talent? Yeah. Right. That yeah. they bring to the yeah. table and how that translates into them attracting more. Absolutely. I mean, the, the, you get what you negotiate, not what you're worth mm-hmm. is one of my favorite commandments mm-hmm. because it's so practical and it's something that you can begin to employ right now and use right now and see a difference in your career. Mm-hmm. The value that you can negotiate for, it all starts here. If I don't believe that I am valuable and that I create value. I will never be able to have enough confidence to then nego- go and negotiate for that value. Mm-hmm. So one of the key things in how to negotiate is you must come into the revelation that I am valuable yeah. and that I create value for whatever organization I'm working for. And that that, and that, and that, that value that is created deserves compensation mm-hmm. at the highest level. And I, there, I mean, this is one of the reasons I wrote this commandment because there have been people that I have counseled yeah. to come to me. For help, and they could not get the value that yeah. they created, and as a result, they could never have the confidence to negotiate what they were worth. And there are some people I know right now mm-hmm. that are working well beneath their value, and they know it. Yeah. And so, what that does to your self-esteem, what that does to your yeah. confidence day in and day out, is catastrophic. Mm-hmm. It's destructive. So, I wanted to write this commandment to say, okay, hey, first you got to understand you're valued. You create value. And then now we have to frame what does compensation look like to you? Because too often we think a successful negotiation is just getting more money. I argue not necessarily. Right. What does compensation look like for you? For me, when I was doing my contract negotiations, it wasn't just money. It was quality of life. It was freedom. Even as an executive at the time, I was an author. I was speaking around the country. I was on television. So what I wanted to do was still have my executive job, but have it in a way that could encompass all these other things that was happening. So when I negotiated, I didn't just negotiate for money. I negotiated for time. 
I had negotiated for the ability to be out of the office mm-hmm. at periods of time while I'm still doing my job. So it was about here's what value, well, here's what matters to me. Here's what compensation looks like to That's me. Good. So then now I can go and negotiate for that. The other thing that was super important is to not be afraid to walk away. Yes. This is the most valuable tip in negotiation. I know I'm not the only person to say it. It's, it's a trope of business that if you can walk away, then you have the power. But why don't we want to walk away? Because of fear. fear. Because here's what we're afraid of. We're afraid that if we ask for what we really want and the value we believe that we are creating, Mm -hmm. if we ask for that, that the other side, our boss or the company will get mad. Mm -hmm. And if they get mad, then we'll lose our job. I don't want to lose my job. So because I'm afraid of losing my job, I then won't ask for what I believe I should get. Mm -hmm. The company has already won before they sat down at the negotiating table because they've allowed our fear to get the best of us. So they don't even have to give you everything they would have given you because we've already talked ourselves into settling for less. Mm -hmm. I wrote this commandment to say, "Uh, we got to we got to change this. You got to believe that you not only deserve to be at the negotiating table, but if they do not step up in a way that makes sense. And stepping up isn't always giving you everything you want. Right. It's finding the happy medium. Right. But if they don't find a medium that you can live with, because they're doing, a company is doing multiple negotiations at once, we live with the results of the negotiation and they go on to the next one. Mm-hmm. So if you cannot live with the result, then you cannot be afraid to walk away. And if you are a value creator and you know it, there will be multiple companies that are going to want to pick you up. That's good. That's good. Okay. So here at Redefining Wealth, we have a couple yeah. kind of rapid fire questions. Cool. Okay. So in one line, how do you define success? Peace. Success is peace. Love it. How do you define wealth in three words or less? <laughs> in three words or less? Mm-hmm. Wealth is more than money. <laughs> good, good. <laughs> See how you, you tied that in. I love it. Okay, and what's one book that has kind of helped redefine wealth for you outside of what the world says wealth is? Oh, that's a good question. This is weird. It's I mean, because it's, it's kind of a book that, you know, it's pretty standard, but Thinking Grow Rich yeah. by Napoleon Hill. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, that, that book, you know, is, is fantastic. And I think whenever I think of wealth, and kind of a financial book that, that is also spiritual, yeah. I think, of that book. Yeah, because it talks about our mindset so Absolutely. much. It was one of the first. Okay. And we're going to fill in the blank. So you're going to say, my name is, okay. and for me, the truth about wealth is. Okay. Uh, my name is uh, Leroy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. All right. My name is Devon Franklin. Mm-hmm. And the truth about wealth is I was born with it. Yes, that's good. <laughs> well, I'm so excited for well, the Hollywood Commandments. I probably I will too. read it again. Okay, And great. definitely will be sharing that. and talking about this for years to come. Because it's about redefining wealth. You totally shift how people should see um, living out their purpose wow. and not being consumed with all the other stuff. That yeah. stuff comes. So like you said, it's not a get rich quick book. No. It's not about your Birkin bag <laughs> or your bins. It's right. about truly helping you walk in your purpose. And you did an excellent job. Thank you. Thank so. you. And you're doing an excellent job. And I'm just Thank proud you. of you. And <laughs> I'm excited you. for you. And I'm just grateful. I mean, this is amazing. Look at you. Yeah, no. I'm on your podcast. <laughs> Come on now. Come on now. All right. Well, that's it. Excellent. It's, it's a wrap. Thank you. All right. So, guys, that was my talk with Devon Franklin. Was he not absolutely amazing? Oh, my gosh. I'm telling you, get your copy of The Hollywood Commandments immediately. 
because I know it's going to bless you. And make sure you find Devon on Twitter, on Instagram, at Devon Franklin. Let him know that you listen to this interview on the Redefining Wealth podcast. Drop him an aha moment. Tell him what nugget you picked up from him because I know he loves to interact uh, with his audience and loves the feedback. So make sure you go and do that and tell him Patrice sent you. And if you enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe and share so that you never miss another episode. And I want you to stop and review it. Just give me one minute of your time. Review the podcast. Review this episode. Let me know your aha moments. What are you most excited about in this whole redefining wealth concept? I need to hear from you because I'm here to help you live your life's purpose, find fulfillment, and earn more without ever chasing money. See you next time. Bye.